Welcome to These Lads on Mental. My name is Gary. And I'm Neil. And our podcast is a lighthearted approach to normalize mental health. Before we start today's show, please listen to our disclaimer. This show is just a group of opinions and is not to be treated as medical advice. If you are struggling with mental health, please speak to your physician or reach out to a service such as Lifeline. Thank you. These Lads are Mental recognizes the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation as the custodians and traditional owners of Sydney. We pay respect to their ancestors and elders, past and present, and value their continuing connection to lands, living culture, and integral contribution to the bright and inclusive future of this beautiful city that we call home. Next, we'll sort of shift gears a little bit, and we're looking about, first, our worry was from fatherhood to motherhood, which is a great point here. It's discussing managing being a good mum whilst also being able to work and study to be a good role model for your daughter or your son. But at the same time, trying to balance that with spending enough time with your child and then having enough time for yourself to exercise. So there's a lot going on there and I'm pretty certain everyone listening can resonate with. There's also the, the time management, how to be more productive, quality of sleep, um, I think we, we have a whole episode all on this book question. Yeah, well, yeah, I think I think we probably could. A lot of this stuff probably ties in the same thing, though, because I think managing all those things, if you're going to do all those things, you do require a really solid system and time management. You need to be have that time management in place to be productive. And then if you're going to be productive and manage your time effectively, you need to be well-rested and have good sleep because it all triggers from there. So I think maybe tackling, I think, We'll start from the time management productivity side of things because what you've suggested in terms of being a good role model and balancing that is everyone wants to has to balance all these things at once. Whether they don't have a child, they still try to balance social life, personal life, relationships, work, career, ambition, health, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, how do you manage your time management productivity tips uh, and then mindset? How do you go from reading advice, so or listening to advice that we're sort of I don't want to say we're giving advice because we're not experts on anything, but we're just giving our experience on things. But how do you then take it on board, the education you do get, and then knowing what you, that's what you need to do and then taking action. So that's a very a big problem, I'd say, in nowadays because, I mean, you're listening to us right now. You might get a, f- a few little bits of information. You think, oh, I can use that. Then you might go on social media, see a couple of bit of information. I could use that. And before you know it, you've been learning for four or five hours. You've got 55 things you need to try and implement and you don't know where to start. You end up procrastinating and nothing gets done. So I think that's a really a bit of an epidemic of 2023 of having all this information and feeling also pressured that you also need to have a growth mindset. You have to educate, you have to keep, or you're going to fall behind rather than taking a breath, taking one thing at a time and working out what it is I have to focus on right now. And I think the first thing from looking at this would be time management, ensuring you've got a good time management system. And I'll, I'll give you, I feel like I'm, got this pretty well down pat from my own perspective we'll give you some resources and uh, but i think for me time management is starts with a good system and i think the most effective thing is first and foremost is getting a priority making sure you know exactly what your priority is over the course of the week over the course of the month and then for each day to get you towards that priority and that's as simple as picking one to three things maximum each day that you're going to get done that day Meaning these are your big rocks. If they, if only one gets done, that's fine. Two or three is fine. But as soon as you start adding four, five, six, seven, eight things, things are not going to get done. And to get those three things done or one or two things done is you need to time block your calendar. So nine till 12, I'm working on project A. 
And you know, in that 90-12 window, not, I mean, notifications are off on your phone, your, your screen, if you're on the computer, is full screened, you're going to have 45 tabs open. You can't be distracted because if you're distracted, there's a great book by Cal Newport called Deep Work. If you're distracted, it takes, I'm not going to quote the exact time to get back into what you were thinking about. If you're in some deep work and you're working on something hard for, say, 40 minutes, and all of a sudden you get a ding and you look at your mobile phone and it's a, a GIF or it's a text message to go and pick up the milk or whatever it might be, to then get your brain back into what you're just in, there's like a five to 10 minute, say, turnaround or even more to get back into the zone you're just in. So you imagine getting 10 of those dings or having 50 tabs open or someone interrupting you in your office. These are the things you have to try and eliminate. And it's tough to do. Again, what do you have within your control? You can turn off notifications in your phone. You can put your phone away to the side. For dedicated time windows, you might be in a situation where you need to be on the phone and say, well, I, I need to have my phone on. That's fine. But you can put set, set, uh, settings in your phone to ignore WhatsApp. You probably don't need WhatsApp for your work. You can put on settings to, to turn off Instagram, turn off Facebook so you can't check it during those windows. So I think that's the first step. I don't want to go into too much detail because I'm going to give a resource for you as well and we've got still got a lot to go through. But I think that's a great place to start um, is just prioritising and time blocking and you'll see your productivity 10x, 100%. Mm. Um, yeah, anything to add? The only thing I would add there would be <clears throat> how, like also how good does it feel when you do it that way? Like if you, because I've done time blocking as well, most of the top CEOs of the world use this as a way to form their day because living through your inbox, which I do as well, and I'm also going to disclaimer like, we're not like, I'm not perfect at all. Either is Gary, Like I'm fucking shocking. Like I'll get an email and I'll go, I have to answer that now. And it's something I'm trying to work on personally. And I'm nowhere near the time blocking I've done. And anytime I've done, done it, and let's say you do spend two, even three hours or something, and you get whatever amount of it done. How good does that feel that you have that done? It's like, oh, you know, it's the, best, man. it's the best. You're like, fuck your whole rest of your day. You're like buzzing, got that thing to do. Don't have to worry about anything else. And then everything flows from that versus the opposite. You get 50 emails answered and then at six o'clock at night, you've had your dinner and then it pops into your head going, fuck, I didn't do that thing. Then you start going into this spiral again. So, and, and, and look, and in the very basic terms, Living through your inbox and alerts, that's just, it's just the behavioral pattern that we've got ourselves into because of society. All you're doing is just breaking that pattern and forming a new pattern. That's essentially what you're doing. And in the beginning, it feels awkward. It feels goofy. Um, but once you resettle, what's it, I think it takes something like, is it, is it three weeks to reset your, your mindset on if you, if you try and go through a new pattern? You do it for three weeks. Habits is always, you've seen 21 days and 67 days. That's the two most common sort of numbers that get branded around. Yeah, so it's not, it's not a huge a huge amount of time, right? Just try it for three weeks and see if it does. And then you start forming this new pattern and then you probably won't even remember the way you used to do it. And then you're on this, this track again. And we had it with, with our own family because I wasn't in that space, but my wife Sue was, and she said, we need to block out our time. And I was thinking, what? And she sent me a Google Excel spreadsheet, you know? And I was like, fucking, here we go. Monday, <laughs> it was just like, Monday morning, I dropped the kids to daycare, you know, like da 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 Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night is a date night. Um, Saturday, we just, it's all day with him, you know, all this kind of stuff. And in the beginning, I was like, oh, we don't, we, surely we haven't got to this point, have we? Like, and I was kicking my heels about it, you know, going, no way, no way. 
But once you just get into the groove, and then a few weeks later, it was just ingrained in my head. Didn't need the Excel anymore. I just know Wednesday night is date night. Monday, I just wake up. I already know I have to drop the kid off to school. And that just, it, it's just so much better like than you well, just... Well, I find that, what that is, sorry, is all those things you suggested is it removes decision-making. That's what often happens is, what am I doing tonight? Or then, or like, what, what should I do tonight? I've got some free time. And then feeling guilty because you're not making the most of that free time. And then that just starts taking up brain space. And then that's when you start start procrastinating and getting nothing done. So when you have this time block, you go, well, that's what I'm doing then. And then obviously you're going to create times, uh, gaps in your time. You don't want to just go back to back, back to back, back to back. And then you also time block the social activities. For, for instance, date night or going out for drinks or going to the football or whatever you do in your spare time. You time block that. You time block time for yourself, and you don't feel guilt about it because you know. And those other times, this is when I'm getting that project done, and that is I'm going to complete this time block until I do as much as I possibly can. Then I stop it, then I move to the next time block. And this is all again. Think of principles again. What's within your control? You you've got well. The time is well within your control for the most part, or how you who you give your time to, who you're willing yeah. to, who do you say no to? Say no to things because that's going to affect your time blocks. Very easy. And we, sorry, we experience this a lot, especially, so Sully and I are both at businesses. We also try and do this podcast and we, we don't earn money from this podcast. It's a voluntary thing. So trying to balance the passion we've got to try and improve the pathways in this, this area whilst trying to do a million things for a business. So when opportunities come up for the podcast, sometimes we should say no because we've got probably priorities we have to focus on for our bread and butter, which is our business. But we accept it. We say, no, we want to go and do it because that's our passion. But then that does have conflicting interests with our own schedule, our own calendar. And that's when it's even more important to work out, if I've got a podcast, I've got my business, I need to then start saying no to other things. I, you can't take everything on. And to do that is, is hard because there's opportunities come up. It's, uh, yeah. Situations come up in your life that you have to say, you, know, you feel like you have to say yes to. And there's another topic we'll get onto later about peer pressure of social events or rest and feeling like you have to say yes to. When you learn to say no, it's quite it's, an it's art. quite freeing. It's yeah. an art, but it's quite freeing when you get to say no and feel like who who gives a fuck if they I'm I'm saying no because this is more important right now. This is what I need to do. And when you get that right, it starts to seep into other areas of your life. And yeah, again, you notice it, you notice as a business owner because uh, you only have a certain amount of energy a day. You might have time in the day, but you only have a certain amount of energy. So think of it like a, a, a cup full of water. And every time you make a decision, as Gary was saying, that cup just drains a little bit. And then eventually it will just be empty and you're running on uh, nothing. So think about that when you're giving the energy away. And a good little exercise to see, are you doing this at the moment? Is if you're sitting there right now, have a think, just spend a couple of seconds here to think. If I was to look back on my day, what did I do today? And if you find yourself in the bucket, which I always find myself and gone, I answered loads of emails. I, uh, um, uh, I, I sent them. Um, if you're in that kind of mode of like, you can't actually put a tangible thing on it. That's a clear sign of like, you just basically spinning plates. Whereas if you're like today, I just got my visa lodgement sent in, took me four hours. That's a huge achievement versus you just going, oh, I sent loads of emails. If you're in that bucket, that's a, a good sign that you maybe need to kind of rethink this. Um, and Marcus Aurelius, we've talked about a few times, long Absolute gone. Absolute besties. Yeah. Well, he, he was, uh, 
he's ranked the, probably the most successful Roman Empire, one of them anyway, uh, emperors. Um, <laughs> was that was that a ranking? Was that like vote? Was that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the <laughs> But he was, he's an amazing guy. He has all all these teachings and meditations and things like that. But we will share his seven things he did at night time uh, and one of them was around removing external stimuli which was essentially social media and stuff like that but there was one out of the seven i'll just touch on now which was around reviewing your day and i've been doing this recently and it's actually been really impactful for me just write down the things that you've you've done during the day and also the things that you didn't you didn't achieve that you didn't oh I, I needed to do that and put them in a separate bucket and then what that does is that then helps you plan your next day and if you think about that i was like jeez this is so simple but then so let's say you just didn't send off some report and you're like okay well then straight away tomorrow you know that's now a priority to me i didn't get it done today i'm gonna do it tomorrow go into tomorrow maybe you don't do it again tomorrow but now it's on your list you're conscious about it maybe do it you know what i mean and that was amazing for me and then he also talked about the decision making that you were saying, Gary, again, would think of that energy disbursement. And I'm shocking because I love my clothes and picking out gear and all that. I take ages to get ready. And anyone would tell you. But uh, he used to have his clothes. This is 2000 years ago, mind you, right? So it's just like, it's nothing. Sh- <laughs> his pink robe or his yeah, pink robe or whatever. <laughs> but he used to get his clothes ready the night before. <laughs> So when you wake up in the morning, that's one decision you don't need to think about straight off the bat. And Steve Jobs... They always doesn't say that. They always did it with CEOs. It shows you like all the top CEOs and just the same gear on all the time, like black T-shirt, yeah. Yeah. pair of khaki pants or whatever it might be. And yeah, yeah. just remove the decision. But again, I don't know how much truth's not, but I do agree with that. Like for me, because I wear the same gear, black shorts, black T-shirt, black socks for football every single day, Monday to Friday. And gets to the weekend, I don't even ever think about my clothing. But again, that's a, that's a start again. It's a that gets you on the ladder of having enough energy, your cup full, to then make decisions on other things. And then there is another question here that you've mentioned regarding the quality of sleep. Yeah. And to go full circle, everything we've just mentioned is probably going to be not very effective if you haven't got good sleep. And that can be quality and quantity. This is an area that I, I work quite a lot in the, working with athletes. The quality of their sleep is essential. So if I'm working with a semi-pro or a pro player, or even working with younger athletes, try to get some habits here. The quality of their sleep is essential because they have to recover, they have to train hard. But the same principles lay back to just the general population as well. And I say, I say general population, I say it's try to be a high performer in your life or for me in sport. For that, you need you need good sleep. You need to move your body. You need to look after your brain. You have to eat well. And sleep's obviously a pillar in that for recovery, recovering the mind, recovery of your body digesting information, retaining education, which is going back to what you've mentioned already in terms of reading things or educating yourself and how do you retain that information. You need good quality sleep. So in terms of suggestions, again, I'll put that in the resource section, but some really, really simple things and you'll find common trends in what we're saying here. Get your phone out your bedroom, <clears throat> that one hour window leading up to bedtime, reduce your stimuli. That might be TV screens. It might be like for, for people I work with, they play football late at night, their training session at night time, they come back wired. So try to get them down so their body is in a really sympathetic state. It's high, it's wired, or fight or flight. To get them back into parasympathetic, they have to do things intentionally. For you or other people, you might not be exercising late at night. 
you might just be chilling at home, but you may be watching Netflix, an action movie, you might be watching something on social media that's got your emotions going for whatever, you're getting your body back in that sympathetic state and you want to get it back down into parasympathetic. That's basically rest and digest, where your body, you're stimulating your body to relax and signals it to get to sleep. So how do you do that? You remove your mobile phone from your bedroom altogether. Get yourself an alarm clock. Again, it's within your control. Then on top of that, make sure your room's good temperature. Make sure your bed's comfortable. Make sure, again, that hour before bed, everything is pretty much you time. Do something that helps you relax. Maybe it's read a book. Maybe it's, if you can't do any of this stuff, make it half an hour. You can watch no TV half an hour before bed. You can avoid... Even even, even, um, even, te- even, even if it's 10 minutes, like, you know, just start... Yeah, it's a starting point. Yeah, get on yeah. the ladder. 10 minutes, start with 10 minutes. And then for me, I like to stretch before bed. Just a simple five-minute stretching routine. That's me. That might not work for you. Some people I know do a very simple breathing exercise. If that's not for you, that's fine. But there's thousands and thousands of different ways. Or thousands, that's exaggerating. But there's lots and lots of different ways. And again, we'll put these in the resource section that you can do. But the principle remains the same. Get yourself out of that sympathetic nervous system state or being wired psychologically or physically and back into parasympathetic. Because stress, Mm. physical, emotional, mental stress is the number one thing that impacts sleep. If you really, really feel like you're no stress and all the rest of it, you can look at very natural supplements like magnesium, chelate, or things like that. But again, that I use that and it's super, super useful. But I try just basic things to start of yeah. winding down before bed. You know, you probably know this common sense. Anyone listening, you know this is the right answer. You know this is what you should be doing. You know you shouldn't be on your phone right before bed, staring at a bright light before bed. You know you shouldn't be watching mm. mental TV shows or something that gets you angry or whatever it might be. However, where you can possibly take action, take a small step, try a routine, try one thing. Don't try three or four of these things. Try one of the things. Try one. Well, well, a, little tip, a little tip that's worked for me a bit also is, um, like, again, the, the Marcus Aurelius thing is the seven steps, and Gary's kind of talked pretty much to all of them, like eliminate external stimuli, get some physical exercise, which is the stretch idea that you said there, Gary. The review your day is what I was saying. So get a notepad, write down your things. That then helps the next thing, which is preparing for your next morning. So it's always you, you the guys listen, I'm just saying when you prepare yourself the night before for the day ahead, you always feel less stress the next day. And um, then spend time with family. He did that every night, tuck in your kids, kiss them goodnight every night, spend that little bit of time with them so they know that you're around. And um, but the other, the only other thing we haven't touched on, which was one of the last ones of his seven was um, if you're worried, stressed, or in that kind of state of, oh, I've got loads on, is to is, is called perspective. So there's a little exercise that he does. You can do this when you're lying in bed, is compl- uh, uh, contemplate your own scenario, right? So you might have a few issues going on in your head, right? And basically what you're trying to do is remove yourself above that, and you're trying to visualize it from above you. So just think about what you've going on at the moment. Okay, my relationship is a bit whatever, works a bit thing, fair enough. Think of those in your head. Then go into your wife or your partner, then go into your extended family, then think about the streets. Well, what kind of stuff do they have going on? Then go into your neighborhood, then go into the city where you live, go, what are all the lives are going on there? All different things. Then go from a planetary point of view and then cosmic, you know, what goes into making the universe. And when you actually remove yourself and then think of things that are much bigger than you, what it actually does, it reduces the holes that those, 
worries have on you, which in essence are really just minutiae. If you think about the little things that are impacting you on the grand scheme of things which is going on in the universe, it kind of takes the power away from them. I found that really, really beneficial as a little mini exercise to do. And then what you could do, because as Gary was saying, you're not going to remember all these things, write them down on a sheet of paper, stick them on your fridge. I thought, I thought that, like, for me, that always helps because you're always using the fridge. And it's about to go to bed. You, what was that other thing that he was ta- telling me about? Go to the fridge. Oh, yeah, that's that. And after a while, you'll, you'll, you'll be ingrained into your system. And then once you have that system, it's like meditation. I've trained to do meditation, but I don't do it all the time. But at least you've always got it. You've always got that tool in your toolkit that you can pull on whenever you want. And that little fridge trick is a nice way to keep it present and front of mind or if you're sitting at a desk the pin board you know i used to love doing all that you know like you'd have a vision board pin it on your desk so it's constantly there and you're always seeing it so what one thing i think to address at this point so far on the podcast is we've mentioned a lot of different things we've went through different topics we've mentioned millions of things the point of this isn't to suggest like one of those social media things like this is mark Wahlberg's morning it's got 45 things done by nine o'clock in the morning this is definitely not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting the other end of the spectrum where you figure out from all the things, maybe the topic that we've discussed, what applies to you, and pick just one tool, and then go back to what Sully suggested with the psychologists. The first thing you try might not work for you. Give it a chance. Give it three weeks. 21 days is a, is a good a good time frame to really go through the ups and downs of it. See if it works. If it works, obviously, good, great, keep it going, and maybe you can add something else. But if it doesn't work, don't think, oh, well, that's it, I'm shafted. Take something else, take another tool, because there's loads of tools, as Sally mentioned, to- there are tools. You're going to have different tools in your toolbox for each of these things or for your environment. For instance, exercise. You might be in a situation where you can't exercise. It might be a situation where you, you you can't put your phone somewhere else. So you have different tools to help you remove yourself in that environment. So mm. we will provide the resource section, but going back to simple things is picking just one tool and sticking with that, don't get overwhelmed by thinking you have to create this perfect day because I, d- I can't do that. I don't do that. Neil doesn't do that. And n- yeah. nobody, uh, what you put on social media, you don't. nobody can live like that over a long period of time. Maybe over a week or some sort of crash course for 28 days, but yeah. not long term. And that lo- mental health is a long term, consistent thing we'll try to improve. And, and that's the thing. Unfortunately, the unfortunate thing about all this is there's no silver bullet. There's nothing that me and Gary can say that's going to work for all of you just in one thing. That's just the way it is. But the great thing is that there's so many things that you can do. And to give an example, like we had Rory Warnock, who's a fellow Scotsman. He was on our second episode and he went to a breathwork class in London, UK, seven or eight years ago. He was in a pretty bad place at that time absolutely changed his life now he's over here in sydney as well he's the official breathwork coach for sydney swans he does google nike all these brands and now he's a full-time breathwork coach and that's just because he went to one breathwork session now i could go to 100 breathwork session and it's never going to have the same impact on me than it does to him i love doing the breathwork thing and it's in my little routine i love it but it didn't have the same impact that it had on him but that's what we're saying you know, you could just do one thing and be, it could change your whole life. You might quit your job and go and do this thing because you've done that thing. And that's great, but it could be totally different to someone else. So what is it? What, what is it? There's a question for you then. What is one thing that you reckon you've done, you have done, that has been that thing that helps you for mental health? One thing, don't give me 50, just use one. Oh, fuck. 
Look, the latest thing, I mean, when I did that first breath work course, it did blow my mind. But ice baths definitely have been a huge thing for me with mental health. Because, mental health? Yeah, because they tra- it trains your parasympathetic and, and sympathetic mind. So I go into that shock mode, worrying, I'm shit, like, what are they talking about me? All this kind of stuff. And, you know, I get heightened, I get triggered a lot at the moment where I'm at. When you go into an ice bath, it puts your body into that trigger mode and you're training your body to re-regulate your nervous system, your vagus nerve. Some people might have heard that. So ice, therapy, cold therapy, cold water, whatever, there's loads of names for it. It triggers your vagus nerve, so switches your vagus nerve on and then you're training your vagus nerve. We go to the gym, we do hit classes, we do all those things, but how often are you actually training your mind? Not much, right? Uh, but ice baths do that. So the more you do that, the more you're another thing people say is your window of tolerance you're expanding your window of tolerance going i can cope with this i can cope with this so then when you're in real life and you get an email a shitty email from your boss or something like that it's not going to trigger you as much as it might have done before because you've been training your mind to deal with these situations and it is a bit naff but people talk about the saber tooth tiger analogy um adrenaline you know all those things are part of our evolution right because they needed to be at one point we needed to have adrenaline to be able to run faster than the saber-toothed tiger or whatever. And adrenaline also stops you from wanting to eat because at that moment, eating food is not a priority. It's life or death. So that was all well and good back then. But now when you fast forward, we're going into that same state of mind over an email, you know, which is not life-threatening, you know, and that's what's where we're at at the moment with stimulation and social media and all that now our bodies are, are being retrofit to, to be stressed in environments that are not stressful so that's why it's good to practice training our body to cope with that stress knowing that this is not a life-threatening thing um so you don't get triggered and that's for yeah that has been a big light bulb moment for me definitely in the last maybe i've been doing it for about a year and again not religiously and my last point here if you see shit online and I, I'm in the wellness game, there's a load of toxicity in wellness. People going, I train five days a week. I only ate fucking green kale and all this stuff. I know they're out on the weekend fucking smashing, you know, the bag, you know? Um, <laughs> and that's also, uh, that's like also, bag of kale. that's a yeah, bag of kale. Um, schnock that we say in Ireland, but, um, that's also okay. Like if they do that, great, but don't go projecting as if you don't do that. You know, that for me really pisses me off. When I see like a lot of like big time influencers and um, like unbeknownst to you, like they're probably getting free classes, you know, and personal trainers with them twice a day, every day and all this kind of stuff. So they have the luxury to, you know, like it's that you just be mindful of that toxicity out there that like people projecting that stuff that that's not real. And um, it's, it's much better. Like, you know, I eat burgers. I do all those things as well. I'm not happy with my body shape as well. We're, we're only human, you know? Um, so just, yeah, just remember that. Yeah. Quality. Uh, so we've, got, we've still got quite a few to get through here. Uh, but again, a lot of these will overlap. So we'll just spend as much time as we have to on each. So next question uh, uh, discusses, uh, this is a big topic really, isn't it? Um, Young men, so we're going to imagine it says, how can you encourage your sons to talk about how they're feeling as they don't think to ask each other or ask their mates how they're doing? And then it goes on to ask a question on how do you handle if someone says they're not okay? So tackling the, the young men part first, this is something... Well, this reminds about. me of you, Gary, why you reached out yeah. to me. Maybe you could tell everybody from your background, working with kids and what you were experiencing. 
Yeah, I mean, very quickly, I, 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 part of my part of the players that I work with, I'll say about forty percent of them are youth athletes. So looking at like thirteen to sixteen year olds or twelve to sixteen year olds, and during COVID, I noticed it, their mental health spiraling, which was very eye opening for me because I just you sort I just thought these kids were invincible. So say over a twelve week period, the first few weeks I got them, they were usually bubble self, bubbly self, loved being off school. By week seven, week eight, they'll to be honest, by body language, they were starting to look depressed. And then by the last few weeks, they started to verbalise that they were effectively missing their friends. They hated being at home. They didn't enjoy anything anymore. They were starting to lose any sort of touch with, with who they were before COVID had happened because they'd been isolated for so long. So that hit me quite hard, seeing how the young uh, the youngsters were affected with it. Uh, and this is, this is boys and girls. Uh, and then... One of the, it wasn't a youth athlete, it was a 19-year-old boy. He, he was going through a similar thing, a similar, he was a player as well. And little did I know that when he was training with me during that time, it turned out that it saved his life because his, his parent, one of his parents approached me at a coffee shop and told me that if it wasn't for the, the opportunity they had to come and train and get them out of the house uh, several times a week to continuously practice uh, the, the physical side of the game, the physical side for their football they were they were committed suicide, and that is the way they were going. So that was that was pretty much what um, gave me the, it was a catalyst for me to to reach out to Neil and start this whole podcast. But the young, I'll say young men because that's the question I asked, and I'll, I'll probably predominantly I do what we if it is youth athletes, it's a lot of men, uh, boys. Sorry. So I mean, it's a tricky one, really, mate. I mean, it's a big topic. How how do you get them to talk yeah. about their feelings? It's a and especially well, now. One thing I would say is I bet. I do think kids probably are going to be more emotionally aware than previous generations. First, so that's the yeah, kind of, I agree with that. that yeah, that's 100%. the good. That's the good news, right? So the verbalization, I think, is coming a lot more. Like I, I go to a Cairo, and she was telling me that her son, he's about 12, 13, and she said she's been astounded by how open he is about how he's feeling. Like he, if he's in a bad mood, she goes, "Everything okay?" And he goes, "No, I'm not really. I'm a bit upset because something like this happened in school." And she was like. Gosh, that's amazing that he's actually telling me this. So I think that's definitely good. Conversely, though, kids of that generation or this new generation, like we have no idea, even at our ripe young age, um, like they're, they're being reared with social media. Like I'm a bit worried about my young fella. He's two. He's already able to swipe. He knows how to turn on Netflix. And he's two years of age. Like I didn't on have Tinder, a... the wee man. What? The wee man's on Tinder. He's on Tinder, yeah. Long time oh, it's, it. it's frightening like he 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 knows how to make phone calls he answers like he goes around with the camera on and he pans it and he just like that's fright like i had my first mobile phone i think when i was about 13 or something like that and there was no cameras on that even at that point um so they're going to be like technology is just ingrained in their life it's just we there's no way around that right um, and the influence it has on them is going to penetrate a lot deeper than it did with us. And you hear a lot in America particularly, and I think it happens a lot, particularly with young girls in America, you hear of all these awful stories of girls being bullied in school on social media um, for no reason, like, you know, just being called like a slut or something like that. And then that goes onto a group chat and da da And then like there's 13-year-olds taking their own lives because of, people bullying them in a digital environment you know you know it's just it's just it, it's become a bit of a statistics epic. yeah uh, statistics one of the one of our friends and who's also a guest on the podcast and uh, nick who works with it, his charity really focuses on the youth space quite a lot and they do 
phenomenal work um, yeah. working with, with the youth and I think that's really where a lot of the energy we don't ignore the adults of course but I think that is the next generation and we, we do have to start from the ground up and making sure that yeah. um, children I think, are I, I think I, it is going in the sort of right direction to be fair yeah and I, but I think it, it can go the other like I've heard also other things of everyone the one thing I would maybe be a little bit cautious of is I've heard people say that you know when something bad happens or they're they're sad or a kid is upset or things like that going back to the whole like emotions and being able to um you know experience all them i've heard now people going on antidepressants at young age and just being given medication and going well you've got depression you know like like diagnosing people too early i get labeled yeah yeah being labeled so just be be conscious of that because look school is hard right for any kid growing up is hard for any kid you go you know um, you get rejected from prospective partners. You might like I was bullied as a kid. Like you know, you, you're going to go through awful things, and there are impacts to that. But try not to like just immediately tarnish them with some kind of mental health condition, and then it starts getting in their head. I got the depression, and da da da. Like be careful labeling things. I think definitely would be my advice on that. It's okay to feel upset. That's natural. Um, but I think. And then, like going back to Batir, which is the mental health charity that Gary mentioned that Nick we interviewed, uh, the statistic that stuck with me was seventy-five percent of our mental health conditions manifest before we turn eighteen. That's where most of these foundational things start, and their whole work is educating kids around awareness and it's okay to not be okay, and if it is, you know, to talk to someone about it, and if you can set up that nice bubble around you and that awareness bubble you know when you like it's a lot harder when you're a 40 year old adults trying to unravel things that you're eight year olds because i've had to go through all that and so kids are more aware of that growing up it's a good thing um, and they'll be able to manage that before it becomes more of a like systemic issue with you in the long run but i think i think leading by example as parents is our responsibility you know if somebody is if your kid is upset to listen first you know the whole thing of seek to understand first before you know giving back advice empathy yeah Yeah. let them know that you're there and you're present for them you're you're hearing their worries uh, you're acknowledging it and you don't even have to provide a solution really but once you provide an ear for them they feel heard and appreciated and things like that that is is well rewarded but creating an environment that they feel comfortable coming to you and speaking to you i think is yeah, I think example, certain example. If I, I mean, if the if any kids are in a situation where their parents don't talk at all, or they don't talk about that sort of thing, they're probably less likely to do it. At the same time, encouraging if you can encourage them to do it, it might only, it might only take one conversation where they don't feel like they're being lectured or judged or being yeah. forced their opinion upon. As you said, just listening to them. It might take a lot of a, a lot of times where you've asked them, oh, what, what are you feeling? And they might knock you back, knock you back, but it might just take that one time where they do speak mm. and you fly without judgment. You f- don't give any solution. You just listen to what they're saying. That can be enough to unlock the door to think, okay, now I feel comfortable. I can then approach them again because the last time it went really well and I felt a little bit better talking to my mum or my dad about it. But I do think it's a, it's a big topic. I mean, how do you encourage? I think naturally we do, especially our teenagers, don't want to share a lot with our parents because you're going through a lot body changes peer pressures it's pretty cool not to hang about with your parents like when you're younger in primary school your parents will drop you off at school or whatever get to high school fuck off I don't know what I'd be seeing at the school gates for you so just I think that's a natural evolution 
And I think that's as a tri- tricky one. I, I do see more positive change in that area where schools, whether or not it's right or wrong how they're going about it, I, I, I do see it getting tackled. At least there is a, a bit of urgency to tackle um, in schools and make sure that, that they are more open or promoting that it is okay to feel certain ways, I'll give you, cetera, I'll, give you but, I'll give you a quick example, right? Um, in my scenario, right, my mum is an alcoholic and when I was about 12 I started to see her you know face planted on the floor and dragging her to bed and my dad and all that and then you know she's your mum so you're trying to help her and do all those things and the bit like it's obviously easy being captain hindsight but looking back on that now what what maybe my dad didn't lend to us at that time was he never sat us down and said what was going on you know like I, I don't know if this had like you know I can only guess right but if if he had just sat us down at that point and said, look, mom has a bit of difficulty with alcohol. We're going to try and help her through this as a family. There's going to be highs and lows, you know, whatever. But, you know, we all love her and we're going to do our best to help her. If, if, if that level of kind of um, involvement would have been there, like, I do think maybe I would have been able to compartmentalize it better. Instead, nothing was, it was never spoken about, brushed under the carpet kind of a thing. And then I just grew up like not really knowing what to do with that emotion then i started to internalize a lot of that and then i hold a huge amount of resentment from my mom for years only up until the last few years after doing work to put all that stuff to bed so it's just like 20 25 30 years worth of baggage that you're carrying which you know really didn't need to be there you know and same with, with sex education, same kind of thing. No one ever sat me down. I know it's a bit naff going like, you imagine your dad going, well, here's, this is what a boner looks like, son, and hooking, you know. <laughs> but like, I never had any of that kind of stuff. And I remember like, this is- I know that, you me. Yeah, like, I remember we had one sex ed class in school, that was it, and it was just an, like- Put a Johnny on a dodo. <laughs> <laughs> You can imagine how... I, 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 think we, I, think we, I think we had two. We put a Johnny and a dildo and the next one we watched a woman give birth. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. What a yeah, shotgun, shotgun education on uh, sex <laughs> education. But I remember thinking like a blowjob was you, like you went... Like you blew on your Mickey. I had like, to tell you that off camera, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, fuck it. And then I always remember a guy called Colin Lawford who said he got kicked out of class for asking this question. But he was like... What happens if you, you leave your... <laughs> gee, oh God, this is so bad. Sorry, guys. And um, the HR team is probably going, how do we let these guys on? He goes, what happens if you leave your dick inside? Like, can you go to sleep like that? <laughs> <laughs> and, you're, and the teacher's like, get out! <laughs> but like, that was, that was literally it. And like, it is scary when you start getting all these feelings. You don't know what's going on. And then, but also like the serious side to that is like, I was never taught about... Like going back to my mum, right? So already I had this bit negative connotation with my mummy issues, you know, females, that kind of thing. And then you start going through puberty. And for a large chunk of my adolescent life, like I didn't have long term relationships. I didn't see, like, you know, anyone got too close to me from a female perspective, I pushed them away. And, you know, so there was like really long term impacts of me for like a long, long time. And I never saw. I had this weird thing with, you know, girlfriends were just, you know, I don't want a girlfriend, you know, I don't want anybody into me to see my fucked up world kind of thing. So it does, like, they're the kind of things that can happen if they're not addressed in the moment, you know, the kind of way. Um, so I think nurturing that, 
environment that like and that's uh, look that's hard right it is hard to create that environment but leading by example i think is probably the only thing we can do as parents right in our control to go well if they because they're sponges right kids are sponges if they see you being emotional they see you crying they use they see you being open about your feeling you know daddy's not feeling that well today can we maybe go to the park tomorrow he's a bit sad like those things, then they'll recognize that and they'll feel comfortable bringing things like to you. That's just my two cents on it. Like obviously, hard to know that, but I think leading by example is probably my advice. On yeah, I think. Well, I think, again, go back to resources. The Matt Holson, Matt Rolston's episode, he talks about that a little bit as well. So again, in the resource section, we will tie in each question you've got to a resource. And the last, the last part to that question uh, or that topic was how do you handle. Uh, if someone says they're not okay, because this is something, obviously, are you okay day, which has became a little bit, I don't want to say, it sounds bad, but it's became a little bit of a throwaway thing, hasn't it, unfortunately? Yeah. The, 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 this was the, I don't want to say, the the message behind it was it's done, obviously, with the right thought behind it. We want to promote mental health, but having one day for it and saying, if someone says, are you okay? Yeah, I'm sound, mate, how are you? It's just that, mm. as you said, people don't want to really put that on other people or they don't want to share it and the problem is at a fundamental level is people don't want to share how they're feeling because they don't feel comfortable for whatever reason and if it does are we prepared are we really trained or prepared as as individuals if I turn around to you one day sorry and says all right mate how's things and then you did just let rip and you put everything out there I, I mean am I trained to do it do you need to be trained is like, is it too much for one person? Someone actually mentions in a, a future question about making family and friends feel guilty about how they're feeling and they don't want to put that on them, which is another avenue completely. So how do you handle it? I think the only thing that I could say is what Neil's already mentioned when we spoke about uh, for children is be as empathetic as possible and listening, not giving advice. And I, I think there's been a few experts already we've had on who have said this is a common theme is as humans we want to help so we want to give our advice but just listening and just being there can be worth 10 times mm. the advice people often don't want advice they just want somebody to talk to someone to vent it to a soundboard as opposed to internalizing it year on year on year or day on day they want just someone to hear them and then most importantly they want to be feel they want to feel heard they feel like, mm. yeah, I understand. Yeah, okay, that must be hard for you. Tactical empathy is one thing. I, there's a, a book I'll put in here for you by Chris Voss. Chris Voss is someone I'd recommend. He's an FBI negotiator. Sounds completely off on a tangent, but he is a world expert when it comes to listening, mm. being empathetic. And yeah. or, or you can do what you just did there, Gary. If you're gonna if you're gonna feed back rather than giving a solution, like give them an open question, like how did that make you feel? You know, or how, how yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Let them, let them say, let them explore those feelings, but not saying what, what, what for me is. Oh, this yeah. is what I recommend because then people are like, well, this is not, this is not what I'm fucking. Uh, yeah. it doesn't fucking matter. You don't get it because then it can often cause in conflict. I think. Yeah, just, we, okay, remember we laughed at that one in the episodes. It was uh, Nula who was an art art therapist, and uh, we were saying <laughs> this is, it is hard when you're on a podcast when somebody's saying something, something pops. 
like just so you guys know, when he's talking, I'm thinking, oh, fuck, yeah, that's just reminding me to say this thing. Then all in my head I'm thinking about is how do I get my thing in? And then I'm not listening <laughs> to Gary at all. And we were going through this. She was talking about this. And we were like, fuck, that's happening right now. So how can you be present and listen to whoever it is if you're already thinking about, oh, well, this thing happened to me, you know, the kind of way? Oh, I think that's, I think that's, I mean, we're all guilty of that. When someone talks, you think to yourself, and it's actually well, one, one, one little thing, because I've also done marriage counselling, full transparency as well. Um, a lot of things have changed in, in, the, in the last few years of my life. Well, you know, back in the old day, dating apps, like I've been with my wife uh, 12 years and dating apps weren't the thing. There was no Tinder back in the old days. There was eHarmony and you wouldn't tell anyone you're on <laughs> eHarmony. You, you get bashed in the fucking, in the schoolyard if you tell people you're on eHarmony. So there was no... There was no apps at that point. And same at marriage counseling. You'd never tell anyone you were going to marriage counseling. If you went, oh, yes, Sue and I got to marriage counseling. Fuck, they're on the rocks, those guys. Fuck, where are they going to go? But honestly, it was, um, it was a brilliant thing because like, it's like anything in life, especially if you're strong characters and you're different, you know, like, you know, we're very different. But uh, resolving conflict has been a problem for, for us, let's say, because like you have an opinion, they have an opinion, you know, and some things you hit a wall, right? And a really cool exercise we picked up there is a listening exercise. So uh, this can be applied to like your kids is what I'm trying to say here, rather than just like you having issues with your partner. But if you can't find a resolution, you, you let them speak and you can't say anything. Then you can speak. They can't, can't say it either. And you can just go through a few rounds of that. And then that's it. There's no, you don't have an opportunity to debunk what they've said you're just simply airing your thoughts and you're none of you are allowed to rebuttal on what is being said. And that's actually, that. That, it's a brilliant, it's actually a brilliant exercise. Um, uh, uh, and you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, that's the real, you're not allowed. And you can referee and go, no, you're not allowed saying, and then that, you know, <laughs> gets them more shitty, but it's actually a brilliant exercise. So it's the same Think of that. Even with your kid is like, tell me how you're feeling, Joey or whatever. Just try and hold back the urge to say anything. And if you have to do anything, just prod them. Well, how does that make you feel now? You know, what do you think? You know, there's other things like what what do you think you could do to help your scenario? Is there anything I can do to help your scenario? Like those kind of things are much better because then they're actually problem solving, you know, the, their own issues, you know, which seems to be a lot of the advice we've heard is, is the best way to do it, you know, and it's the most rewarding thing for them rather than, you know, you telling them what to do, which doesn't really seem to, especially with this generation, certainly does not seem to, to work because they're all, the, the, the future generation, they're all independent human beings. Now they all, you know, that's what they are kind of being reared as. So yeah, that old school do it this way. I don't think is going to work, you know, well, I, I think, uh, I mean, that was, what did you say, about an hour and a half or something, do you reckon that is, so far? Yeah, I think we've... Not we've, far off, so I, th- I think what, what we decided to do is break this into two parts. I know you're doing Mental Health Week, and this is obviously getting pre-recorded, so we're going to we're going to release two different episodes uh, to to you guys first internally, and you can do what you like over the, over the whole week. Um, ideally, I mean, sorry... Hopefully, we've provided. I mean, Vera spoke a lot of shite, which we probably we usually do anyway. But 
again, just to go back to the re- what this podcast is about, it's just to show that having a conversation about these mental health things. Sully spoke about marriage counselling, being bullied. We spoke about how, how we felt, how we see our self-worth, fatherhood, motherhood, t- even time management, coping strategy, all these other things we spoke about should just be casual. And again, you want to do it in the right environment with people you trust. Of course, you don't want to just blab about it to random people. But the goal is to make this these sort of conversations not make people think, fucking hell, what, mm. what, they, what are you mentioning that for? Again, have boundaries, have privacy and all the rest of it. But as a general overview, speaking about how you're feeling, if you have to, to get it off your chest, the people you trust should be completely normal. And everything that's been mentioned so far and everything that we'll speak about in the next episode, I can resonate with almost every single part of it. I've felt this way or have questions that you're asking all this, every single time. And all we'll try to do is encourage people to keep having these questions and encourage you to try one thing to make a positive change, that micro change that might be the macro change in your life. And mm. please, please try something. You'll have the resource section. We will be back with the second episode and touch on all the other questions. Can't thank you enough for being so open with your questions. And again, superb work on getting, making, trying to make some impact with mental health. Phenomenal. Yeah. Because it's, it's just the ripple effect and it's the, the toolkit analogy, you know, these are just all little tools in your toolkit and you can pull them out whenever you need them, whenever you remember them. And when you f- find yourself in a scenario, it will come to you. You'll go, oh, what was that thing the guy said? That, and then you'll tap back into it and then you'll be able to plug in. And then, yeah, it's a ripple effect. You do it. You tell your mates. What's the average thing? You'll tell at least 10 people in your immediate circle of this. Yeah, yeah. That's a watch, yeah. Yeah, and then that goes around. And I actually went to... To give you an example of, I went to a, 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 a talk from uh, IKEA, uh, this, their head of design here in the city, it was a good few years ago, and somebody asked a question from the crowd going, I stayed in Sweden for a few months, I couldn't get over how clean and recycle, everybody recycles and over there, how did you do that? And uh, the guy was like, well, it was actually a big issue for us um, 20 years ago. But they brought in a system into the education where they taught just the kids, the next generation, on how to recycle property. And they said within a 20-year period, what the kids were doing was they were taking that home and educating their parents, going, I've learned this in school, we need to recycle. And then they ended up telling their grandparents. So by teaching the one generation, it actually changed the whole thought processes for the two generations previous. So that's the impact. That's where you think, oh, this is all a bit weird. It was like... So, like if we if we start doing this piece by piece, kids, even in our everyday life, it will it make an impact. It just it, it will. Um, and well, uh, not, that's the thing, mate. You're not uh, anyone listening. And I'll there's probably a point in the last twenty years, mate. And I'm as like saying, well, oh, mate, what a shape, man. I don't need to talk about my feelings. Oh, I don't, and mm. it's not mental health. Again, I don't want to keep saying talking about my feelings because that's not what mental health necessarily just is. It's not just like the extreme suicide it's not just about oh, I, I have to be an emotional and start crying and all the rest of it it's simple things stress mm. anxiety like worry self like self-doubt all those things are they're all part of it and mental health is also the good part of things where you see someone being confident and proud of herself or having mm. a happy looking happy or feeling happy to life that's the stuff we need to discuss as well if from if you are in a good place share it let people know you are you are doing well because this is this makes if I'm well, my wife is happy and she's enjoying herself, it naturally gives me energy because I know brilliant. I don't have to invest energy into making sure that 
she's all right or my family's all right or this because I can go, I can focus on my energy on me at this point. And you have to give and take. Sometimes she'll be 20% and I have to be the extra to keep us together. And that'll happen with every relationship. Yeah, I've heard that from, is it Mel Robbins talks about that in America? She's quite, um, she's amazing lady. She talks about that you and your partner, whoever it may be, or your kids, you're never all going to be a hundred percent. But by creating this environment of openness, if you're at hundred percent on Monday and your partner's at 20%, then you can equilibrium like equilibrium nice <laughs> level each other out. Like you're never you're never both going to be on a hundred. So you might be at twenty percent today, and it's maybe it's your day with the kid. But if you're having a shocker, then your partner is aware of that. They can come in, take the kid, look after, it, and give you a dig out. And you know, so you kind of yo-yo like that during the week as well, which is um, and comes to communication all that again. But again, mental health guys is just. Thank, it's such a big topic, man. Every time we're probably rabbiting on again, but every time we start talking about it, I just get I, I, I want to say excited, but I just feel like mm. this is this is a shit that we need to sort because. It's, but it's just these uh, are kind of real life, conversations that like we should be having. Yes, if if we were having yeah. all these at a mature level frequently, the actual t- issue of it would just slowly come down. That's the whole thing. It's very heightened yeah. at home because we're trying. Well, like if this becomes ubiquitous where everyone's talking about it, like dietary requirements, as we said at the beginning, eventually it's going to get to the point where it's really going to level out. And that's the beauty about this is by doing those small things in the moment, you might not necessarily, you'll get a little um, short term benefit from it. Like, you know, if you do a meditation, for example, you're going to get short term benefits from it. But if you do them consistently, the beauty is, and I've had this happen to me before, it could be six months down the line, you'll just be sitting somewhere, somewhere randomly, and you just go, and you'll get this, fuck, why am I feeling like this? You know, you might just look in the mirror and go, geez, I'm very proud of you right now. Shaka. Shaka. But you will, you'll get those lovely moments somewhere in the, in the future going, wow, you're doing all right here, mate. And the only reason why you're getting that is because you put in the work, like, you know what I mean? You've, put, you've done those gratitude things, you're sleeping more, you're doing whatever it may be. But you will get those lovely aha moments going, fuck, this is actually quite nice, you know? Yeah. I, I think it's mental health's never, mental health isn't something they're trying to, it's not something that's eliminated or something that has to be fixed. It's about being aware of it hmm. and talking about it because mental health, mental health is like physical health, it's just there. It's just your there. health is your health. It's just yeah. there. It's something that's going to be up and down. It's never going to get eradicated. It's not, it, it mm. can be great. It can be bad. It's going to be ups and downs, but being aware of how do we manage it as best we possibly can. Because remember, this isn't about trying to be the best business person or successful. This is about attack, tackling a real problem. Suicide rates are ridiculous. Mm. Depression rates are ridiculous, not just in adults, but in children as well. Mm. So, this isn't something we just, it is woo-woo, but this is reality, that it is a real problem in yeah. the world. And it has to start from the basic stuff, and it starts with you, starts with us, starts with especially adults, teaching children, talking to children, sharing it with each other, and trying to make a real impact. Yeah, and in my last Jerry Springer final talk moment uh, would be that... Um, I hate that, uh, you know, people go, it's a real thing over here, I know it's like back home in the UK, but um, that whole thing of be the best version of yourself. Like I, I've said that if you know, fucking hate that because what is the best version of you? Like, how do you know? Like, you know, what, what, does that, what does that mean? Like if you have a fucking brand new BMW or, you know what I mean? What, like no one truly knows how to really measure that. 
So just be, uh, I just think that's a bit wanky. And then the other thing is, when you start going, when you start talking about this, at the beginning it seems a bit overwhelming, and uh, Gary's already alluded to it. There's so much things we're talking about. I know you might be sitting there going, "Fucking hell, where do I start?" All this kind of stuff. But when you go down that path and just explore and try things and move on and things, things, what it does is uh, awareness can bring you. It, it, at the beginning, it can be overwhelming. You know, I thought there's so many things, but eventually, when you go through it all, of what awareness actually brings you is control and power and choice. Because now you're aware of things. So as Gary's saying with things like suicide and so forth, if you get to a place where you know, you understand yourself quite well, your family around you understand you quite well, when you, you start to notice then you slipping back into a certain pattern, right? And that could be, just to make an example, you might get short with your wife, you get short with someone in work, and you get short with someone on the football field or whatever it is. And when you've gone down this exploration thing, all of a sudden you go, well, hang on a second, because it, it will, it will pop into your head going, geez, I've been a bit shitty here the last few weeks. What's going on? And then you start kind of like, going, well, okay, maybe. And like, you'll, you'll, if you actually look back, you go, okay, well, you know, haven't been getting much sleep, eating a lot of fast food, you know, and you start going, okay. And then you, and this is where all the control starts coming. Now you've got a choice. Now you can decide, okay, well, I need to get my sleep sorted and so on and so forth and that's the be- that's the sweet spot because now you you're educated you're empowered and now you've got a, you've got choices you can make whereas if you're completely oblivious you push stuff under the carpet you're not going to you're not going to have any of that and that's where i think ultimately when people make that decision and um, you know the ultimate decision to maybe pass on is you know when you haven't had that opportunity to kind of you know look at yourself and look at your scenario and be aware and understand and then make those right choices you know so yeah that's the really exciting bit that's the bit where you're like you know you know and everyone has to do that individually and by yourself but when you get to that point it is really empowering and that's why the work that we're trying to do with gary is that if everyone if we could get everyone to that point of being comfortable and empowerment and education like I guarantee those numbers would come down, you know. It's not to say they'll ever be eradicated or anything, but if we empower more people to have the education and be able to make choices, surely it's going to bring that number down. Yep. Perfect, mate. Well, we'll wrap this up and we'll touch, we'll we'll do part, however we do this, part two, and then we'll split this in half and do part one, two, three, and four, however we do it. But we've got about one, two, three, four, five more questions to get through, five more topics. There's a little bit of overlap, but you guys took the time to write, an, write a question in there and we'll definitely take the time to, to give it all. Um, yeah. Thanks, guys. It. Hope we didn't rub it on too much. Lots in there. I de- definitely did, man, but fuck it. <laughs> Fucking five hours later, you're like, fuck, am I getting paid for this? Like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to. Did you, did, can you watch, did you see a psychologist after listening can they watch it on company time? That's the big question. Yeah. Like, I'm in the boardroom. <laughs> yeah, I'm watching that mental health thing, you know? Like, the last <laughs> said it was okay. Like, <laughs> I'm meditating. I'm doing my journal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's going to be a lot of bullshit artists now. They told me that I needed to take, you know, a two hour walk, like on Tuesdays, to help my uh, fucking. Or, 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 get, okay. get, go in the cinema, get some popcorn, watch this as a team, you know? <laughs> There you go, I fucking hell. Don't need me to watch that, mate. No, thanks. Appreciate it, guys. We'll catch you for part two then. Yep. Cheers. See you guys. Bye.